this show may contain naughty language and explicit content. You have been warned. Welcome to Facehammer, an Age of Sigmar podcast. Bringing you product reviews, news from the UK tournament scene, as well as some pro hobby tips. So stay tuned and get ready for some hammer to your face. Welcome to Face Hammer episode 42. It's me, Russ the Face, and I am joined by Byron the Turquoise! Tur- <laughs> the Turquoise himself. Um, and uh, in this show, we're going to talk about your heat free experience and your elves. Mm-hmm. And yes, they are turquoise. I think everyone knows this. If you don't know about them being turquoise, then uh, you know, you're probably colorblind. <laughs> you're, yeah, you probably haven't listened to this show in the last two years. Um, and uh, we're also going to discuss what we took away from the Sprocket um, week end weekend, and um, how we've been applying it to our armies. So uh, yeah. That's about it, really. So do you want to start off and just talk about Heat 3 a little bit? Yeah. So I I attended Heat 3, obviously, but I wasn't planning on attending it. And then a ticket was available. So I made a last-minute decision to attend, which gave me about a week to prep an army. And I hadn't yet qualified for the Grand Finals. So what would have been sensible would be to take... a like a safe bet, powerful army that I'd played recently and knew how to play with. And I had a fully painted cunning rock that I could have added an Arachnorok to, which I think would have been both interesting and powerful. And I played with, and it's obviously it's a good list. It's got plenty of bodies, does well in, I don't think that that list has any bad scenarios actually. Um, so I had that option. I just had to build and paint one model that I really wanted to build and paint. So what I did was, I played an absolutely janky list that made people wince when they saw it, compiled of my high elves, and set myself the task of building and painting an entire Forge World dragon and a metal techless to a high level in a week. So why, why did you set that task? Did you Is it because you wanted something different to play with, or you were trying to go for painting and you wanted a centrepiece, or what was the... I mean, I say you wanted a centerpiece. You wanted like four, but you know, what was the, <laughs> what was what was the motivation behind doing those two models? I'm just a, well. So the first one was that I wanted a dragon. Right. <laughs> it wasn't well thought out at all. There was no like deep considerations to it. It's just I'm going to take this army. I didn't want to take exactly the same army I taken in the past, and I quite like. Like the the phoenixes in the, like if I'm going to go game wise, the phoenixes in the list are pretty cool, but they scale really badly with damage and they need help. And I've played with a high elf dragon before and enjoyed it, so I thought, well, I'll do it again. And then, given what was in the list um, and the fact that it was a Games Workshop event, and I, I didn't necessarily want to say like this converted mage is a tech list, um, I needed a caster who put out a lot of spells. Mm. Um, and there are very, very few options for that in order. I mean, we'll come to it if we, well, when we come to adjustments I make to list in the future or whatever. But your options are really limited without sinking points in a direction that isn't otherwise helpful to the list because Techless is there basically to cast three spells. And he's got plus two to cast, 
He can pick three spells with a low casting value, and in theory, he should be fairly reliable as a way for your phoenixes to get the plus onto their armor save that happens when an, when a, a wizard friend or foe casts within twelve inches of them. So, so it was a bit it, of a gaming decision, mostly that you were like, "Well, I want to play with <clears> these two models." Um, and by getting them painted, you just have them available for future lists, I guess. That's why I did. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I had such a short notice period that if I didn't have a tech list I could find from a person, there wasn't going to be time for me to get on for the event. Luckily, uh, Tom Maudsley, who's been on the last couple of shows, he was coming over so I could show him how to airbrush, and he happened to have an old tech list lying about. So I got that. I stripped it with liquid reamer, which is a thing, by the way. Keep a mask on, but it strips models really, really fast. It's an airbrush cleaner. It's made for shifting paint. Stripped it with liquid reamer in 20 minutes. Like, so not me scrubbing it, like me leaving it to soak, then coming back and then scrubbing it, which is super fast. And um, yeah, I mean, that was it basically. I wanted to take my my elf list and I wanted to take the birds. And to make the birds work, you need a caster. So I needed a tech list because um, if like you, you just got to have something who can cast a lot of spells reliably. And otherwise you end up sinking like 400 points into three other wizards or something. Um, who aren't relevant, and I wanted to play the dragon, so I built the dragon. Simply, right. I guess. Cool. Uh, Did you have the um, want to go into and compete for painting, or did you just want a nomination to help you qualify? Was that the goal? Or? Well, the, the really stupid thing was, I genuinely thought going into the event that there was a severe risk that I would find out that I'm incapable of taking something that's just there to look pretty and still enjoying myself on the table. Um, I guess now's probably a good time to go through the list I ended up taking. So I took, it's very character heavy. So I took high off dragon, bloody awesome dragon, really good. Um, Two frost heart phoenixes with um, riders. Uh, The riders are awful. The phoenixes are fairly good, uh, but they, they have a debuff aura. Um, they are fast. That's important. Tunits of Dragon Princes. Tunits of Glade Guard because they're battle line. I needed the battle line and one unit of High Elf Spearmen and a Lawmaster to buff the dragon with his reroll to hit and wound spell and Teclis. Uh, the dragon was the general and he had the Quicksilver Potion um, and Reckless, which is incredibly important for the army. Um, it needs it to work so um, that was a list but it was it was the type of list that when I told people about it it just sounds like you're reeling off a list of stuff which I kind of am because it's what I have painted and it made sense about three and a half years ago in Warhammer 8th edition um, but there were there were some ideas on how it worked together and kind of how it supports support itself I was quite worried, though, that it wouldn't be enough for me to qualify, even with the painting nom. Like, I thought that by taking it, I would gain a painting nom and lose two or three games more than I would do with another list. Um, so, um, and, like, the hope was basically on the second day, if I was on the lower tables, I'd be able to scrape a couple of wins with it um, and then maybe make it through like that. But I, uh, I don't know why I did it, to be honest. But there wasn't... I really wanted to qualify, but I just decided to take an army I thought that wasn't very good but looked nice. <laughs> um, so yeah. just had a hobby, just hobby wobbled as we do. Yeah, as you, as you do. So the corn have been away for a uh, a little bit while you. Were yeah, there. they 
they have. I've uh, got bored of scraping faces until they're iOS. No, it's not that. I, st- I really want to play with the corner as well, but I didn't have time to get them done No. for this event, so they weren't an option. Okay, cool. So you, um, in terms of your list then, I mean, obviously you're a bit limited in what models you had available, but you've played quite a few Age Sigma events with the Phoenixes and stuff, haven't you? So you've got a, quite a good idea of how it um, how it all works, haven't you? I have, but it was a long time ago. It was over actually the last that's no, a long long time ago because not the most recent south coast the south coast before that oh that really that's the last time i played them wow i mean i know yeah. you we, you played a little like weird elf army at um the doubles with me in the last round um but it wasn't really the same thing was it no in that kind of it, it it wasn't. It didn't feel like an elf army. It felt like an army with well, felt like an army with two heraldors and then like <laughs> generic spearmen, generic archers, and generic cavalry. I wasn't using them as elves. I was just using them as like two wound, fast people or one wound, two inch reach people or, or whatever. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's been a long time since I played anything like that. I know how to play a push forward the big things list. Um. Yeah, because you're still moving something to your death army, isn't it? That's a lot of big things. Yeah. yeah, the death army goes forward and debuffs peoples to hit, and this goes forward and debuffs peoples to wound. Mm, there you go. So, um, should we, do you want to talk a little bit about the combinations you've got in there, or do you want to just go into your games? Or, I mean, what, what is your, or just talk overall about your list? I don't really know how you want to approach it. Yeah, so I can, well, I played some. I played some interesting armies, so I'll quickly run through the armies I played and the result I got against them, and then maybe there'll be a couple that you find particularly interesting, or I can pick a couple that I think sum up what the list uh, can do well. Um, I mean, I guess before I run through what I played, the, the things I noticed overall about the list were number one, that it was exhausting to play. Like, genuinely, like you just felt like you needed to drink twice as much water, and afterwards you felt twice as tired than I have playing any army before because the movement is really important and there's not much to it but the things in there you've got to be the way it works is to think a couple of turns ahead um or like around your opponent getting the double turn or something like that and it was um I found that felt like I came back after Saturday and I just slept like a brick um I was exhausted drank about four pints of water and then just passed out um but yeah, it's a, it's definitely it, there's it needs a combination of luck and you not making significant mistakes uh, for it to do well. So I played some really weird uh, selections of armies. Actually, I played a full old school Tomb Kings, and I say old school because I mean at the old points. So it felt like I was playing mm-hmm. against two thousand eight hundred points of twelve snakes, etc., or like everything. Um, that was very, very difficult. I played against um, Rick Myhill's mixed Sylvaneth and Caradron army that was brutal, um, really, really brutal. I played a absolutely tooled up, uh, Benjamin's absolutely tooled up and very beautiful uh, Nurgle Cunning Ruck army, which was oh, at yeah. South Coast, which I think you've seen. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. And then I played against... What else was that? I played it against a, uh, I think it was, his name was Sean, he's listener of the show, against a really interesting mixed destruction list with, um, what's the Sabre Tuscan Hunter pop on? The Scowl. Yeah, the Scowl formation. Yeah. 
um, which was actually, um, he'd been playing that very well throughout the weekend. I think he'd won, when we played each other, he'd won three of his games um, nice. and lost one. We played in the final round and it was an incredibly close game. So what's that we've got? Um, four. Four. So I miss. I played Tomb Kings, Cunning Rock, um, Destruction, Order Out, and then I played um, Laurie, who came in in third place. I played against his pure Sylvaneth with Alariel. Um So I played against a, a selection of broadly pretty strong armies, actually. Um, I'd say that out of out of all of them, Sean's was the one that on paper looked looked the weakest. It was had a Stonehorn, a Thunder Tusk, um, four Morn Fang, three units of ten Savage Orc, uh, some Goblin artillery, and a Goblin See, archer. It's just upsetting because it's obviously like it's obviously a Beast Claw Raider army, but then he's had to put the three units of um, Savage Orcs in to be battle on because he wanted to go outside the Alliance to have artillery to deal. You know, it's it's like that's that's the big issue I had with uh, Beast Claw when I was trying to write the list as a pure Beast Claw army um, yeah so it's a bit of a shame that but it's interesting because you don't see you don't see like people putting Mournfang into a destruction army or like um, you know taking the Scowl you see it in Beast Claw Raiders because they're battle line and the Scowls you know that makes the yeah. battle line if he's the general but um, yeah, not normally in a mixed destruction army, but I think the scales are really underrated formation. I know we've spoken oh, right. about it before, but um, it's just the ability to pop up on objectives. Like it's just it's amazing. So the strong dest- with the destruction move as well. And I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I say it was on on paper the the one of the like the, not as powerful as the rest. It it had loads of options. It had some range shooting. It's really clever to use the cheapest possible source of lots of wounds you can get for um, the stuff like that. And he played it really well, and he played Scowl perfectly. And it pretty, well, all but came close to um, to winning him the entire game in the end. So I played against powerful armies. And um, I'll probably, I'll talk about the one against the Cutting Ruck, because that's kind of the current hotness, um, and, uh, and how I dealt with that one. And then I'll, um, maybe I'll, I'll hone in on just how I felt it dealt with um, with powerful threats overall, because that's probably one of the strengths of the army. So when I played uh, Benjamin with his cunning ruck, I just thought this was going to be a write-off. I'd won my first game, uh, thanks to some helpfully bad dice from uh, from Rick in the game against the Crowd John and the Sylvaneth. Came up against a cunning ruck, and it was the full-on uh, three bolt throwers, two thunder tusks, um, Ogre Tyrant, just uh, just like absolute range damage, reliability and output list. And not only that, it was in escalation. And of course, all of the stuff that does damage starts fairly forward. And then the Thunder Tusks get a destruction move and a normal move. And have got a long range shot, so it, it, barely, it barely holds that army back. Um, so I, I, I assume this was just going to be me kind of trying to die slowly and then maybe giving up and shaking his hand. But uh, what happened was I really needed him to not get the double turn, number one, which he didn't. Um, and I beat him with a face hammer, which felt lovely. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> what I'd done is I'd positioned my stuff as far forward as I possibly could without it being unhelpfully far forwards. And even though it's in escalation, when you've got move 16 uh, or 14 
on your beasties it's uh it's really really helpful so played it like that i used techlist to slow down his uh, his tyrant who i was worried about who was way over on one flank and i just decided that i was going to i was going to stick to two objectives and i was going to completely and entirely ignore one over the other side of the board um just wasn't worth it i dummied over that way a little bit um but just basically stuck to two of them and i put my stuff up fairly far forwards and then i moved it as far forwards as i possibly could um to get into his his cunning ruck and in order to lose less distance everything i had involved moving straight towards the enemy even if it wasn't the enemy that i wanted to be charging and i think people don't realize how many inches you obviously want to be charging the right thing that goes without saying but when you've got pylons and you might you might you may well roll a higher charge um it i just wanted to be in his guts as fast as possible so i moved straight up i moved straight up again and then i rolled my charges and i got fairly lucky i mean i've got reckless to help me re-roll them but i think i just vanilla rolled decently on all of them and i rolled a couple of uh, ten like double figure charges, tens, elevens, and twelves that allowed me to then make up for the fact that I'd move straight forwards, not towards the things I wanted to charge. Yeah, I do um, that quite a lot. Where you move up within three of something, you're like, well, you, you want to charge something else, and you could move directly towards it, but you're probably not going to be any more closer. But if you move kind of slightly sideways, you might be within range of something else, like close, yeah. and then you're like, well, if, if I roll, you roll low, I still get. <laughs> Well, yeah, if you roll low, I can still get something. Um, but if I roll high, then I get the thing I wanted. So you're kind of hedging your bets a bit, aren't you? So Absolutely. And you've got to do it. And the army works by getting enough stuff in range that you've got um, overlapping debuff buffles. Buffles. Bubbles. <laughs> um, so if you, let's say you get greedy and you think I've got a nine there, but I've got a re-roll and I've got an eight there, but I've got a re-roll and then I've got a like a, a seven there but a re-roll and if one of those doesn't get in because you didn't put it in a position where it could have had a five um then you it's like the sum is far 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 greater than um the whole is sorry the whole is far far greater than the sum of its parts so you need people to be at minus two to wound or you need to be able to go in with the dragon first because he does all the damage and then mop up with one bird um and then the other and and honing on one key threat or something like that like against the tomb kings where all i wanted to do is kill one unit of snakes um and you need everything to get into that one thing yeah you've got to work so, that unit out in one go otherwise it's coming back i mean did he have the heralds as well to plant the banners to bring them back he did yes yeah so you just you gotta you just gotta deal with that um i think i think for me like just just a quick one i'll just talk about your you've talked about your overlapping debuff but um should we, it's probably worth us talking about phoenixes and how they work with their interaction with spells um yeah. so i when i went to blood and glory on the first year age of sigma was out i won that and i used a dragon and a phoenix um and the phoenix i found was incredible because what you could do is you he's in your lines and you have spellcasters so you cast spells and then you um you can do things like you know mystic shield it or whatever then on a two plus is it you get a plus one to your armor save yeah if a spell is successfully cast even if it's dispelled within 12 inches of this model and that's not by you that's just a spell by anyone then on a roll of a two plus it gets plus one to its armor save until your next hero phase um yeah yeah, so I found uh, I'd play people, and a lot of the people 
would be going, oh, it's always good. Give your opponent the first turn, and then um, I'm on the chance for a double, and ha, 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 they're not going to push forward, and if they do, I'll table them. And then what I would end up doing was going, all right, then, well, I'll, I'll triple buff the Phoenix. Get stuck I'll on this. edge up a little bit, shoot you, and just launch the Phoenix into another <laughs> army. And 16 it, inches is a long way as well, isn't it? It is a long it? way. 16 like and a 2d6 charge. It's, it's pretty reliable to get in, especially if you've got a reroll. Yep. I mean, if you're on the 12-inch line, you know, 16 inches, and they're on the 12-inch line, you're not. You're only, like, what, 8 inches apart? Yeah. And you've got the in half, haven't you? So it's, yeah. it's, it's eight. A bit, yeah. I was going to say, it's a bit of a weird subject as well, but I find a lot of people in this, you know when people put down a objective and it's on the 12-inch line? Yeah. Um, so let's say you've got um, you've got a, a counter that's a, a coin-sized one. It's about as big as the bottom of a piece of paint or yeah. a piece of paint, a paint pot or whatever. People place the center of that counter on the 12-inch line, and a lot of people then make the mistake of just lining up their army with the front of that counter. Yeah. Um... I realized, realized it about three games in when I kept on measuring and being <laughs> like, well, I've done my movement right. Why do I need a 7 instead of an 8 to get into you? Um and people like a lot of people are just sloppy with it, or uh, like you could be you could be skeptical and say that they're greedy and they want to get into you, so they're just optimistically. I think deployed. it's just generally people go, oh, "That's twelve on, so I've all done in line with the counter." It's just it's just one of those things. But yeah, it's the halfway point on the counter, so um... so if you, it does make like it can make a difference. So it came up in a couple of games. You're completely right about it being a stopping block, though. And then of course, if your opponent gets the double turn, then your buffs you got like triple value on. Yeah, I mean, like, basically what they do is they charge your Phoenix and they go, well, it's got, like, a two-up save and it's minus one to wound, potentially. And, you know, it's got its uh, it's got its mortal wound save as well, hasn't it? So Yeah. Um, so it's... And it's pretty tough. And they're like, well, I can't kill it. I get stuck on it. And then, you know, they've had their double turn and they really haven't achieved a lot. Yeah. Um, especially so missions important. where you can win on the third turn. Because it generally means that you've got then the chance to get a double from two to three, which is massive. Absolutely, um, which may well be enough time for your Phoenix to potentially wipe out what it's in contact with if it's yeah. got assistance from another unit. Well, so you can then get the dragon or a unit of dragon princes in to combo in. Um, and I think I think it's a really good, especially with Teclis's ability to when you cast. If is it if you roll? Is it if you get over nine? Is it? If yeah, if you beat the casting roll of a spell by certain value two or three then you may double the range of that spell yeah so you basically get a 36 inch bolt and a 36 inch is it his spell 36 is a yeah so his yeah his spell halves the move run and charge and does a single mortal wound uh, to any unit with an 18 but it's five to cast so if you get it on an eight then um you can shoot it all the way across the table yeah and that's Um, an amazing spell especially against like a lot of armies that want to move up quickly i mean even like a stone like frostle on stonehorn go first jump that drop that on his head and it's like oh suddenly it's not charging you turn one yep um, when i played two kings can you to an entire unit of snakes even if they set it uh set it they have to set it to get it so you half its move and then they double it and they get it back up to normal yeah but, but when you eight i think and then they are it makes uh, a big difference so 16 isn't it? <laughs> it's far better <laughs> than 16 <laughs> but i think the um like Texas is a really nice utility piece. I remember having a game against Mark Wildman back in the early days at Sheffield, and he had shared Texas against me, and he was so irritating. I mean, that spell is just so good. And then just being able to do like D three mortal wounds at thirty six inches away is, is people just don't realise the range is massive. 
Um, and even I mean, like Mystic not... Shield, like if you've overextended with a big beastie and you can drop Mystic Shield on somebody, it's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, part of the problem with the list, and again, we'll come to soon, is that you, because you spoke about the double for your opponent being awesome because they get the buff, um, the fact that you cast spells in your hero phase before you've moved means that if you, um, like, go-go boots all your, your heavy hitters that benefit from your casters, not even halfway across the table, pretty much the full way across the table. So if they've gone 16 and then charged 7 or 8, even the back of their bases, um, it's not going to be in the distance of any running wizard in the game in your next phase. So being able to reach them with that shield, um, admittedly it's only plus run rather than the probably plus 3 to their saves that they've been on when you've uh, you've done it in the first turn. But it is very important to be able to reach out and give them a little bit of assistance or to protect them offensively by choosing your dragon to go first and giving it reroll to hit some wounds from the lawmaster. Yeah, I guess you, so you keep that dragon back as a second wave and you'd be like, okay, I'm going to lawmaster it and then launch that into whatever the phoenixes have pinned and then kill it and then the phoenix is then free to go and pin something else. Potentially. I just tended to send them all in at once. Did you run them I... around as a little bubble? Like yeah. together, all three of them? Well, yeah, and the bubble ends up fairly wide because they've got their debuff and one went on the right shoulder, one went on the left shoulder of the dragon, generally speaking. Um, and that meant that the crossover in the mid... Like, generally speaking, you'd put the thing you're worried about in the middle of that bubble if you're imagining two um, crossing over circles with a dragon at the middle of them. So that thing that the dragon was fighting, you'd double debuff. And then the stuff on the fringes, you'd potentially double, but more likely single debuff. Um, and the phoenixes were the things that are actually tougher than the dragons, so they were holding up the edges while the dragon was just munching through stuff in the middle with the aid of um, Hand of Glory, which is the Lawmaster spell, and Teclis can duplicate the spell, well, not duplicate, he can steal the spells and use them of any high elf wizard within I was going to say, 12. so you could basically free 36-inch range Hand of Glory, can't you? You absolutely can, and that yeah. is... Nuts! You don't need to defend your things if they've killed what they were attacking. <laughs> so he's pretty, um, he's pretty key to the army, isn't he? Really, he is. Yes, um, yeah, he is. Unfortunately, he is not a defensive piece, and you end up with this really weird thing where it, it's kind of part of the fun of the army, I guess. Like you send off your damage blob and your debuff blob, and then you leg these really, really, really like delicate characters as fast as you possibly can into the <laughs> middle of the board so they can get to within that magical just... 12 inches of the back of a phoenix so that in your next phase they're okay and hopefully your opponents are so preoccupied with what's going on in front of them that they can't touch the stuff in the middle of the table but it certainly looks very weird to have like a single lawmaster and techless standing just like dicks flapping in the wind on the 24-inch line. I just got an <laughs> image of, of like, Teclis haunching up his robe and just, like, skipping into the middle of the battlefield. <laughs> He's bombing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like... <laughs> just, <laughs> like, for the moon. I don't know, whatever he is. But, um, exactly. So, uh, his moon on a stick. That's the problem he with Teclis. He just wants the moon on a stick. He does. And he, he has it. it, which is, you know, pretty much. Um, so, that's... That we've, I know you've talked about your games a little bit, but did, did you find that's generally how you played the army? Because you've got quite a lot of units, you probably would go in first most games. Yeah, I mean, it's a what we got. I've got six characters to start off with. That's more drops than a lot of armies out there. And then, um, yeah, it's an eleven drop army. Yeah. So, you, I mean, did you find 
out of your games, did you go first pretty much in every game? Did anyone take uh, the turn I... choose to take it? Or Yes, so the Sylvaneth took it. Oh yeah, obviously, because that's, um, that's their bread and butter, isn't it? It is, and then all of the other players gave it to me. And I wouldn't even necessarily say that was the wrong decision, but it still worked out okay for me. Well, I think it's it's a great thing about your army that you're not necessarily bothered about having first turn or second turn, but you're like conversely, you're not bothered if they give you the first turn because you can actually be effective. Whereas yeah. quite a few armies just can't be effective. Like I know with my Bloodbound, it's a bit of a strange one as well because I get first, if they give me the turn and they haven't got they if they've got a way to reach me on turn one, then I'm able to buff and protect myself. Yep. But if I don't get that turn and they get to me, then a double turn back with Bloodbound is pretty devastating. And they're yeah, generally tough enough that I can actually survive that Alpha Strike. So not it's playing against the Caradron clown car, but you know, that's a different story. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so um, I just... Okay, so that's like your, your kind of your heroes and um, well, we talked about the Phoenixes, we talked about your Wizards. Um, we haven't really talked about the dragon and i just wanted to get an idea of how you were using it i mean i I know i play a lot of people and i saw it even on the stream and i I was was doing hobby and i was watching the stream for heat free and you get people who go right i've got a big dragon monstery thing i'm gonna go straight to their big dragon monstery thing and then they're gonna fight each other and it's like i i honestly i remember this even even seventh edition eighth edition warhammer if you've got a combat army and you've got a really good couple combat units, why would why do people choose to stick those into the best combat units your opponent has? The most resilient thing that your opponent has. Yeah, have. it's like yeah. surely you're going to go and do go and get some guaranteed quick wins to get the odds in your favor first. Did you find that's how you use a dragon? You <coughs> you were pinning stuff with the feats and you use it to sweep up like scoring units or slightly weaker fringe units, or was he literally just yoloing straight towards the big thing? Well, it's it, so I, I did Mitch it a fair bit to key one of your favourite terms, um, but uh, part of how I found I had to play this army is you almost or the way it worked out in a few games is you need to go for the centre of your opponent's army to kind of entice them to try and wrap around you and get stuck on you while you then go about winning the game on objectives with your inconsequential crappy stuff. <laughs> um, so, and I, uh, it's probably also going to, like, me sending my big thing into their big things is going to be, um, it's going to be affected by the fact that I played Destruction a couple of times. So I needed to stop them from doing what they should have done against my troops I needed to go for that stone horn or those thunder tusks to make sure yeah. they couldn't just do six wounds to my elf heroes and and, and kill off Teclis instantly or stuff like that. I guess um, in most missions you don't you don't really care about losing the big flappies because they're basically there to to go look at me look at me hit me hit me and then like you say your fragile fringe units are the ones that are actually win in the game uh, for you. Yeah, they're very delicate. I mean, so you, you kind of you want people to envelop you, but um, also a lot of the missions I would. I would make the center point of where the action was happening a point at which it was helpful for me. So mm. if I wanted to goo things up on the central objective in escalation, um, when their army was kind of centrally in the board and that was like a, you're almost turning it into like, it's like a game where there's a bridge in the middle of the board. Yeah. Um, 
they've, they've got to go for that objective and you're going to put some really hard shit around it and then your your stuff that is safe protected by that wall of um of damage is kind of on the fringes doing its thing um so i there were a few where i went straight for straight for units um immediately like against sylvaneth i went to pick off dryads or things that i knew that would go down fast but the dragon princes were fast enough that basically if there was something that was a medium or bad unit i know that's weird, they're really vague words but if it wasn't something that i was worried about that wasn't super resilient or super damagey then the dragon prince their 12 inch move and the reckless reroll charge um if they'd run in the first uh turn they could pretty much get anywhere they needed to in the second turn so they were being sent in um that's the sound of manchester outside. i was gonna say that's like <laughs> the uh that's like the fun police telling you that you've got to stop because uh, <laughs> don't talk know, about you're, toys. You're having too much fun. They're like, no, don't tell anyone. All right, okay, we can carry <laughs> on now. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So the 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 dragon princes uh, bravely took up the mantle of sweeping up crap. And when, uh, for example, when I play destruction, I would send my damage blob to try and kill it as fast as possible into the stone horn, while the dragon princes would go for the thunder tusks. Um, so the I'd, I'd pick the key threat, um, and in the the case of the the cunning ruck game, for example, what I wanted to do was be in contact with multiple things. So I didn't necessarily want to be killing, um, killing one unit, but I wanted to be close enough to be lessening its potency. So I'd be touching as many things as possible, getting on corners, getting in weird places, or in gaps or behind someone, so I could touch their artillery. Uh, because the debuff to wound is not ju- it's just period it's just minus one to wound it's not in combat or in shooting or anything like that so it's within range of the bird isn't it is it you yeah. or model it's it's model but um my my guys did so well with their save that the the bubble shrinks as they take damage yeah um my guys did so well that, that basically by the time their bubble started shrinking they'd killed stuff they killed enough that I'd probably be in contact with like a treatment or something that was going to be within the, the six, five, four inch range anyway. What does it start off? Is it eight or is it 15? nine, nine inches? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And every two wounds it drops, doesn't it? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so, um, dragon princes, you, you talked about them back there. So they are, were they, I mean, were they decent enough then? They would, I mean, you mentioned taking on a thunder tussle, which I know thunder tussle is not particularly fighty, but, I wouldn't imagine the impact damage from that unit be that high. Was it the uh, command ability from the dragon that made them better? Yeah, or? reroll to hits is huge, oh, right, and um, okay, yeah. their horse, their horses have got two attacks. So you go in and you've got more attacks than you think. They get more damage on the charge. They're significantly better. Their rend is they have no rend across the entire unit. That's their main problem. But um, yeah, on the on the charge, basically on averages, you will with reroll to hits, especially you'll do pretty well against against most things that have got a four up save or worse um with them so they'd be going into the thunder tusk they were they were all right i was disappointed more people didn't shoot at them because they've got a wicked save against <laughs> against well, shooting attacks shoot them, right? yeah uh, well they were shooting at the spearmen instead who have got a similar save um so i i found this as well like in um in the meta there's shooting metas people want to talk about um high elves or whatever they're called all the yeah. different ale factions. Ales. Yeah. They've got some really, really resilient shooting units, haven't they? Yeah, Spearman. They are incredible. Well, they re-roll ones and twos against shooting, is that right? Well, 
it's yeah so i concentrated so much on that i forgot the fact that they're just re-roll ones period and then it's ones yeah. and twos against shooting yeah, so i forgot yeah. that for the entire like for those and my dragon princes i forgot that for five games because <laughs> <laughs> i think they're um they're pretty pretty solid you know i mean did you find your battle line units were they good i mean were they just they were solid they just they're just really bad but they're just there but, <laughs> yeah so the the glade guard just feel like their range is just a tad too short for like the the people who've spent their lives shooting bows it like i had well, other two different ranges too long i would say yeah exactly um i mean I had two opponents very politely tell me that, nah, it, it was 24 inches, um, they're wood elves, and I had to go and show them with a sad look on my face that actually... No, it's, it's 18 or 20. It's, it's 20 inches, yeah. It's, it's um, the Illyrian Reavers are 18, aren't they? Yeah, so they're or, or, or 16 or something. Um, but yeah, they're 20-inch they're range. The, the minus three rend also, it seems to be a bit of a gimmick because you you just don't hit that much and then you don't wound that much, so great you did two reliable wounds um so it's if there's like a monster uh with a four up save that's live on two wounds then it's really exciting to have the ability for that but if you are like you see a big a big unit with four up saves and you're like all right i'm gonna burn my once a game i get three rend you hit with five and then you wound with two or three and then meh so they do you, um do you think they were very a way to psych your opponent out because you're like, yeah, these guys have got this ability, so minus three rend. This sounds amazing, and then you'll be like, in their go, they start moving. You go, oh, are you within eight? Do you come within range? I think, oh yeah, I can get you there. And then there are people, oh no, I don't want to get him in range of that minus three. And then it almost like it's not that effective, but by holding it and not using it and talking about it to your opponent and almost like telegraphing that you could do it. It might have more of an impact than than it would warrant, than it would actually do in the game. But um, I, I don't know. It might be quite an interesting thing to try out if you were uh, playing someone. People, so people did avoid it. I mean, there's always that chance as well that I I'd stand them on um, damned or mystical, and suddenly that unit becomes a lot more reliable. Yeah, so and let's could... be honest. You don't care if they roll the one, do you? On the mystical, no, you don't. At all, because they're they not really very one, good. You're like, oh, re- I've got damned, and I'm rerolling ones. I'm rerolling to wounds, so amazing. So, yeah, um, and they, like I said, against uh, a monster with one or two wounds left, you can move them. They're six inches. I mean, that's probably their best stat. They got movement six because they're an elf. Um, you can move them six inches and then fire. And if you've got a few guys left and you burn your rend, there's a chance that three guys could take down a thunder tusk that's got one or two runes remaining or something like that, which can actually be really useful. They were, um, they were on the whole, the most disappointing thing no. in the army. They... Okay, but you, you're you a bit limited on your model selection, aren't you, about what you could have taken? Yeah. So let's... If I could take them in a 20, when they get plus one to hit, I think they would get significantly better. Yeah, yeah, I think. I think we played at Blood and Glory, didn't we? I think you had a 20 then, didn't you? Yeah. I think, yeah, they were, they were all right, actually. Yeah, and um, you burn burn their ability as soon like as soon yeah, as you as soon can. As you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was playing high elves as well, wasn't I? So your shooting was really neutered by my armor save. That's when it. Yeah. Kind of, <laughs> I think it was. I did my dragon princes were the ones that went and cleared them off, weren't they? Yeah, they did. Pretty. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Pretty swiftly. They were pretty cool. I like. I miss my elf army. Unfortunately, I don't have enough battle line painted to use it. <laughs> so, yes. Um, and I've got far too many phoenix. Phoenix Guard and Swordmasters. 
Um, okay, cool. So, I mean, should we just talk? I mean, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about what you're going to do to the list in the future, but probably after we finish this kind of wrap up. Yeah. One thing I'd like to ask you is about is scenarios. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, at the Heat, you played five games, five different scenarios. Yeah. Which scenarios did you find, or did you, I mean, try and spend what army you played in the scenario, but which ones are your strongest ones, and which ones are your weakest ones? So, um, take and hold, if my opponent gives me the first turn, is great, because I just get to go over and go up their centre and just grind it out. And my stuff does grinding really, really, really well, especially in a compact bit. And people only care about that your one bit of the table and their one bit of the table. So that was um, that was pretty good. A few places of power. I got some fairly resilient heroes. Um, so and I've got six heroes. So it kind of it, it, it like that one you'd hope <laughs> with this army as long as someone doesn't have a way to kind of like zap over and kill both your mages, which would be awful. Um, that's a pretty solid one as well. Escalation is a really... It's a very swingy one, but the fact that you're big... If you're playing against someone else who's got big things, um, yours moves so fast and get the buff for potentially their double turn for so long that it like you can mitch stuff a really long way across the table. Um, like a 16-inch move and a run, and then a 16-inch move and a charge can get you anywhere. Um so I was that was say they're so quick, aren't they? Your your flappies that you're not bothered about the twenty four inches away from the center deployment. So no, not not so much at all. Um, Blood and glory is just worrying. Uh, yeah. Basically, I've I've listed the good ones, and the others are very hard. They were the ones that gave me headaches. Um, escalation, your stuff can move fast, but you it's got to be alive to do that. So your your cavalry have to still be alive, and you can't have sacrificed them like. Et- well, did, which mission didn't you play? Was um, it Border War or Gift or something? Or no, we played Gift. Uh, is Border War the one with the diamond? Yeah, played that on. Um, we didn't play Taken Hold. Right, okay. I don't think. Well, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, I love that one. No, I um, don't. And then um, yeah. yeah okay so any any mission so particularly the two with the four objectives are a bit of a problem. Do you They're find um, gift from the heavens shouldn't be too bad though should it? Because basically like taking hold, but you're so quick you can probably go to where you need to. Or it depends you... because you. I find with the army I want to know where people are and where things are going to happen so I can act around that and like anchor this flank with two birds and put the dragon here and then have have my dragon princes ready to sweep in and I'm, I'm nimble but if i don't get to start being good at what my army's good at from turn one then i kind of feel like there's a distinct possibility that my enemy is going to outpace me just with they might have more bodies and they might be able to kill some of my stuff so um if you play against someone who has got uh flexible movement or long range damage they could have just killed enough bodies that i like i could wipe them out and still lose that scenario very easily yeah, yeah, I see that. That, that makes perfect sense. Um, I was going to say because with gift, you've got to got to wait till turn two, haven't you? But you, you're kind of you want to be in their face straight away, and but you don't know where their face is going to be. If that makes sense, yeah. Because you always just, wanna, um, we always say it: fight around the objective. Absolutely. Well, I just That's picked weird. two of the thirds and hoped it didn't land in the other one, and then played like. <laughs> <laughs> That's. I think a lot of people play uh, gift in the heavens like that. 
they just they just ignore one one quadrant and you just go I just not gonna drop there, just believe it, it won't drop there. Oh it's dropped there. Rubbish. Yeah, absolutely. Um and once you're already pinned in combat and you're already damaged, just like, oh god, I'm never getting over there. Um just, and then someone pops up their obscure skull formation and nearly swipes yeah, the game out from under say, your feet. Just brings up their doggies next to it and goes, "Whoa!" It brings up the doggies, runs a hunter, uses some spear ability you've never seen before, and does five wounds to Glade Guard with an ogre's shooting attack. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. That's pretty good. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah, I like it. So yeah, um, that's, that's it. I guess that that's basically wrapped up your army then, and we. I've spoken mostly about it, scenarios and things like that. So in terms of the event, um you did pretty well, didn't you? Yeah, I so I got a um I got the equivalent of a draw, ten points for being nominated for Best Painted, which is awesome. And a, a load of people it's like thank you to anyone who came up and spoke to me about the army, or just people that said hi. I think that's the the most people have ever come up and said that they like the podcast or they've seen pictures of it or anything like that. And a few people came up and just had a really good chat about painting, which is really cool. Um, so I got a nomination for that, which was 10 points. And then I got three majors, a minor loss and a minor victory and came in fourth. Awesome. So that's really yeah. good. That's a really good result, especially with that army. I mean, I, I, I guess it's kind of those weird things. You probably think, oh, I wish I was third. But then it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like you should just be pretty happy with that. And what's good about that as well is you're at the final, so uh, we get to we get, we get to, hang, to out. hang out again, which is awesome. Um, exactly, yeah, super pleased. And I think if um if I didn't have the painting on, I would have come fifth or sixth. Yeah, so, so it's still solid showing, really. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Got to be got to be happy with that, especially with this kind of like slightly off the wall janky list, which. You know, nobody, nobody's running the Phoenix Dragon meta, are they? Let's be honest. <laughs> no, I think that's why people were so interested in it. To be honest, I had like all the high elf players—well, not all of them, but a couple of high elf players—were really keenly keeping an eye on my progress. And uh, I had Brian Carmichael asking me if I was getting a nosebleed being up high. Um, always a pleasure. Um, and... Finishing above it, always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah. No. <laughs> I was finishing the sentence. Sorry, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was all in good jest. But yeah, it was really nice. People coming up and saying like, "Why are you still up here? How are you still up here?" And then people watching like the game against the Tomb Kings, which ended up being really, really hard fought. That was um, you were like the that people's was... champion. Everyone's looking at the horrible, sordid <laughs> compendium netlist, which uh, which only some despicable human would use. <laughs> Oh, I've used yep. it, um, and uh, <laughs> that's a pure point. I win the Masters, but anyway, um, and then uh, you know you're there, like heralding the the elf banner, going, yeah, then they live, they live. Um, exactly, good well, I like it. It's unfortunately, a... I couldn't be the people's champion because i like, I I was like, oh yeah, I'm running a running this niche army. I'm doing pretty well, uh, kind of a big deal, and then straight away. Smashing first place, Nick Thompson rocks out, winning it with a bloody squig army. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean it, that. It, what I was going to say about that is um, that army is actually quite strong. Um, we we do a little blog blog sode on it, blogisode. I think we dubbed it. Um, yeah, do go and check it out. So listen to that if you haven't, and we talk all about that list. Obviously, props to him. Well done. You can check his army out on Twitch TV stream as well. Um, but I would say that what's good about age sigma is there are these lists that people haven't used that can do well uh particularly with practice and what i found and this is what you had in the old editions as well people go 
what and and it was more prevalent in eighth and that people had the what you call the net list or the list or oh, you're What's playing skaven so this is your army it's What's like that's costed? the skaven army and it's always the same and the problem is is because people don't and maybe they don't have the time they don't have the models they don't want to buy stuff and then then test stuff they just go well what what's quite solid i'll add a little bit of flavor in it or maybe tweak a little bit but basically i'll stick quite safe to what the the meta tells me is good but like we spoke about it before but then other people are aware of your army know what it does and are prepared for it because they've probably played against someone with it before they know all the what the units do that they, they whereas when you rock up some people who haven't played against they don't know what stuff does they don't know what the rules do they they make mistakes they miscalculate how the combat's going to go or or how resilient something is or and that's right. when you get the advantage because you know because they're playing a standard list you know what it does. Your army is um, very weird or different or out there, and um, they will misjudge something. And it absolutely it, it's, and it, it's so you can have told your opponent what the rules of something are, and then they they know, and they could quote them back to you, and then those rules happen, and they're like, oh, like Teclis' spell is a perfect example. Like you tell someone, I've got this spell; it can go this this far if i beat its casting value by this it can go double that and i will half your move run and charge and then you play against a destruction player and they put something out on a flank and you're like okay i choose that guy and then they realize that actually that really really mounts up and because you're not making the charge you're less than half that unit's potential move yeah and and, and to be honest like the, the whole um like you say like knowing the rules is different to be known the impact and also, also, it's hard to really judge the overall. I'm not using the word synergy because it's not rules interacting with rules. It's more like your almost your how your army works overall um, as a force is very hard to understand the interaction between units and rules. It's the entire entire army is a holistic way. piece, isn't it? Yes, it's... exactly. So it, it works as a. A a complement to itself in a way, and I think that's what the strength on Nick's army was. It it was a very well-rounded army, and it had a very well thought-out game plan for the for a five-turn game. And whereas your your army is is quite a nicely rounded army, they're not the most strongest units. If you went through and read all the war scrolls and looked at the points, you're not going to pick these units out and say these are the best units in the game or these are the underpointed leaders. Look how many wounds I got for my yeah or how many or what's the most efficient attacks for points for base size ratio for points. It doesn't matter because I mean I've said this about this in the future like in you know before a unit that does something that you need in your army doesn't matter how much it costs you buy it right you just have it it's exactly like... you might need that yeah a uh, unit that has a four up save and has a 12 inch move and if those dragon princes in this case cost 160 points it's a shame it would be really nice if they cost 140 points 120 points whatever but that you don't have another source of fast moving medium resilience medium damage output wounds in your army so they are entirely invaluable or like we spoke about skull cannons or whatever like you don't have something that can yeah. damage something reliably from afar it's exactly. just if it does a thing the, you need the more to fill pressure is always the example i use for Perfect, for, yeah. for iron jaws it's your only source of decent mortal wound output um so you're gonna have one 
doesn't matter that it's overpriced. You're going to have a more crusher. I think most most of the better Iron Jaws armies have more crushers in them. Um, it's expensive, and they just deal with it because they need you, it. You just you just go. Well, I know it's expensive, but I've got to have it in my list, so I just I just suck it up. That's what I'm cabbage. Yeah, <laughs> all the designers crying at the absolutely stunning model they made, and everyone just going, "It's a cabbage." <laughs> it's a it's just cabbage. Like, is that? <laughs> uh, so, just the, the the Games Workshop designers despair at that comment. I imagine every time they hear it, but um, it, it's the best it's looking cabbage I've ever meant, seen. Meant as a uh, as a comment of endearment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I yeah, I said so. So well done to you, fourth place, you. and um, also you got a, a trophy, didn't you? I did, yeah. I got a best painted trophy, which I was absolutely psyched for. I um, there were some good looking armies there, and there were some funky looking armies there that I thought would um would outstrip me in terms of crowd pleasing value. Um, but I think, yeah, it was um, it was it was a pleasure to win it. And I, I must say as well, I think the maybe not like the absolute tip tip top technical standard, but the average painting standard was the highest I've ever seen at a Games Workshop event of this. Like, you just looked around and it's like, oh, there is a beautiful-looking Death Army. There is another beautiful-looking Death Army. Um, there is a really well-themed this. Uh, there is a really cleanly presented Stormcast Army. Um, there was just everywhere you looked. Um, there's, like, a beautiful, fully converted, really cohesive, cunning rook Nurgle thing. And he's taken the most filthy list he possibly could. But he's a lovely <laughs> man. Um, <laughs> hi, Benjamin. Um, but, yeah, it's... um. Yeah, there was a really, really solid selection. I would say there were probably like 25 to 35 armies there that I looked at and thought like, wow, just like solid, like really, really crisp, um, well executed or strong theme or anything like that. So it was um, it was nice to see. I think um, what what I think is kind of interesting is it felt like it was a destruction tournament. Yeah, it, I think the stream definitely that kind of got presented, didn't it? Because you had the person who won playing in the first and final round, and in the final round he played against um, Iron Jaws, uh, didn't he? Yeah, but I, and they were they were highly featured. But actually, if you look at the actual overall list uh, of players and placings, there's only there's five destruction armies in the top twenty five. I, I think just outside of that, so you got um you got a couple in like thirty three, thirty-five, um stuff like that. There was and then there's another couple in forty seven and forty ninth. Until the last couple of rounds there were a lot up there and it pretty much felt like every probably one out of so I am gonna lump them together and I know they're entirely different armies, but they play similarly. So there was either Cornblood Bound or Destruction was felt like it was every third army on the top tables for at least the first three or four rounds. Well, from round two till four. Um rounds two, three, and four, they just seem to be to my left, to my right, everywhere. Yeah, I get that, but but really the point I was trying to make was that you've got not that many when you compare it to Chaos and Order. Oh no! And actually, Chaos. Death is in an even worse state where you've got one in the top twenty-five, two, three. I can't count three in the <laughs> top twenty-five, but none in the top fifteen. Yeah. Um. 
And right. you look at the lines of chaos as well. There's like seven chaos in a yeah. row at points. And what, but what's interesting is destruction, order, 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 destruction, chaos, order, chaos, destruction, order, chaos, 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 <laughs> chaos, chaos. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you only got four factions, and we know that there is some strong order and chaos lists out there. But I thought it was quite interesting um, that 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 was occurring. You know, I thought that was. Uh, that there's the mix of armies is people said about the shooting meta. I know they were making a big point on the stream and going, Oh, you know, obviously they're wrong, but actually when you look at the overall placing, there's quite a lot of, I mean, like Gary Percival in second with Cradron's, that's a very heavily, obviously alpha strike shooting army. Um, you, you're, I wouldn't cut, I mean, the destruction armies can be if they've got all the, um, the sort of the free thunder test, it's kind of quite heavily shooting, although it's not, yeah, Silver as well. Silver quite a lot of shooting. Uh, I'm sure Darren's army was probably quite heavily shooting based. Um, but there, I think there was a lot of shooting around, and even like Joe was there with Skyfires and things like that. But I mean, it's nice to see some different armies up at the top. But I think the um, yeah, it's just an interesting kind of kind of thing that I mean, what's really clever as well is that. When you go to a tournament, especially five rounds, and there's a lot of people, it takes, you know, you probably don't really get a very good representation of, from one set of results, you need to look at, like, a group of results over time, and I think what's good about Age of Sigmar is because so much stuff comes out for it, and so much stuff changes so often, it's very hard for people to look at a set of, like, five or six events and go, these are the lists that always rise to the top, because they're not people are doing different things. I think I'm trying. Stuff's in flux. Yeah, Stuff's it's always flux, changing, it? so it's not easy to to say that's the list. Whereas, like when compared to old version of Warhammer, you'd go right. Here's a here's an army book. Here's Dark Elves takes forever. Two or three months, maybe, for that list to be the best list to come out of that book. I mean, you've got a lot less permutations of army because of the way that the game was structured in the past, and also that the books had a very big disparity between good, strong, and weak, and it was very obvious where the strength was, and then you ended up with these cookie-cutter builds, and then it was like, a Dark Elf army looks like this. And there was maybe one or two variants, but there wasn't that much variation. You 300 points to play with instead of... And yeah. there was always like that staple, and people would write a list and they'd go, I know what I need in this list. It's this, 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 this. I've got this many points left over. And that book didn't change for five years. No, it didn't. Six years didn't. and seven no. years. And so it felt very stale. But if you think about where we are with Age of Sigma right now and how much stuff's come out and how everything's changing all the time it's so refreshing i'm kind of on a tangent but i just what was i found was good about this heat is that there was this kind of feeling of innovation in lists and units you don't see very often doing well yeah. nice and, to see surprises yeah and i hope what it was going to do is inspire people to look at the um units that are available uh for their faction and not just look at what is the best thing, but start thinking about making an army as an overall um, complement to each other and trying to look at balance and trying to find lists that 
people don't expect and don't know what it does. And I think it's going to be really cool if people can start doing things like that. And a good start is people like you don't. I think so many people start with the obvious formation, and some of those formations are like twelve hundred, fourteen hundred points of predecided. You take this. Um, if you don't start with that. Like it's, um, we might have found it in like when we were discussing Bloodbound or whatever. If you hone in on two formations, um, then there's not a lot of variance. Like me and Terry and three other people who commented when we said what our planned list was were like, well, that's pretty much my list, give or take 200 points. It's Silverneth syndrome, isn't it? Yeah, it is absolutely. Gnar root Silverneth. When there's loads of other formations, or you could just not take a formation and then think there's still coherence. You don't have to have that whatever it is, no, extra move or thing like that. You, you kind of, you, you, it's, it's not a bad thing, but they can be shackles in terms of innovation, I think. Well, it's the same with the Kradrons. I mean, you look at the Kradrons and you immediately go, it, it seems it seems like the no-brainer choice. It's Barak Zilfin. So you go, Barak Zilfin, because it's so powerful. Because you're like, I can drop any, I can have my army is completely 100% safe. It's not on the table. You don't know where it's going to go. You can't touch it. And my army can drop down and still deliver all of its combat power or shooting power with no negatives whatsoever because its range outranges the distance away. It's not a combat army. It's not like you drop and go, oh, I've got to get the charge, so I'm nine away. You don't care about charge. You just want to unleash your guns. You can pile everything into your boat. And just be like, well, you ain't doing nothing to me, so crack on. It's a bit like this a new warrior brotherhood. It's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, and so you, you immediately you go right. I got Cradjons, and you go, and even I'm doing it, and I don't want to play Zilfin. And I'm already <laughs> going. I'm going. Oh yeah. Um, what should I do? Well, I'll take an ironclad. Cause I've got to have an ironclad. Um, oh, what, how do I how do I get the most out of that? Well, probably take Zilfin because that's the best, right? And then then you sort internet of says I need three Aether chemists. Well, then, well, yeah, because you go well. I need to have. I need to make that turn as impactful as I can. So I'm going to take as much as I can to make that one round as powerful as it can be. But people aren't looking at things like, um, you know, all right, Barrett Mornar, which is something I think is really good. And they've got some really powerful uh, abilities, um, like, you know, being able to reroll to hit against a unit that's within range of everything within three of your general can reroll. That's ships, everything. So you can, you can drop out and you can pick a unit and then your whole army gets to reroll if you're clever with the placement. People aren't using that. And then you've got, um, Barakurbaz, which is basically just Aether Chemist plus whatever. You've got, um, even, to be honest, the, I'm going to forget the name now, but the, the, the actual main faction they painted them in the purples and everything. I would look at my book, but it's underneath my microphone. Um, <laughs> so um, um, whatever, whatever they're called, you know what you know the ones I'm talking about. They're all about dispelling. So against the Zinch armies, that's that's really powerful. You've got um, people aren't taking frigates, they're not taking gun haulers, they're not using gun haulers to protect their ironclads. You're just not seeing this this, and I I think there are some issues in the book itself, but I won't go into too much on that. I think the ships are a little bit over-costed. Um, and the thing is, you're going to take... So to take something like a gun hauler is actually quite a big points investment, and it doesn't really give you the benefit of being a Cradron ship because you can't embark on it. But the um, like the Sky the sky Wardens and the Engine Riggers, they're, they're really solid. And, and what happens is you, your list almost gets pigeonholed because you go... I've got a, I've got an ironclad. I've taken Zilfin. I've taken three chemists. I'm going to take the free battle line. So that's immediately, um, you know, twelve hundred. Twelve. No, it's it's four forty for the ironclad, and then it's three hundred for the um 
a for chemists and then it's 360 for the guys so basically it's 1100 so i've got 900 points to play with as soon as you put two big units then you go well i've got a for chemists so i want my units as big as possible because i want to get the most more men buff for you know because i want to have more men in the unit means more special weapons which means the buff is multiplied more by how many men are in the unit so you go well what's the best guns i can get I'm looking at Thunderers, I'm looking at um, Sky Wardens or Engine Riggers. What's the best combats? Engine Riggers. So, okay, I'll put, I want a big unit of nine. So I've got nine Sky Wardens in with drill cannons and volley guns. 300 points. So I'm up to 1,400. Then you go, all right, I'll stick a big unit of Engine Riggers in with Grapnels. Well, that's 360. So well, I've now suddenly got like 200 points left. Yeah, can I put a frigate in? No. Can I put a gun hauler in? Yeah, but why <laughs> would you? I need an admiral, really, because the battle shark as a formation that means my army's one drop. I'm done. Done. And and like literally, your your army almost gets so pigeonholed by making the decision to take Barrack Zilfin and taking an A for chemists. And I, and yeah, they are really good. It's really powerful. But I'd be really interested to see what a Kradron army would work if it was like MSU. So you almost or you just took no ships. Yeah, like literally, you just took um, lots of long range thunderers. Um, you know, you take you. I, I think you kind of need to take some ships, but maybe take frigates as like cut down ships, and then you take um, like just loads of sky wardens, loads of engine riggers, um, but in units of three. Yeah, like don't take, don't take big, big battle units. line units. Anything. There's or, so yeah, many ways or, to mix it take, up take um you know like 30s of um archonauts you know i i mean for me i always the, the big units of archonauts always feels a bit weird because i feel like they should fit on a sky vessel but they, <laughs> the, if you take more than 20 they just don't fit on any sky vessel so it's like well how did they get there you know did they <laughs> it's it, it feels wrong to me i'm like well none of the boats can can handle you so how did you get it? did you walk did you walk from the sky? Is that how you got here? Anyway, I was, uh, <laughs> um, but I think there's some interest in this out there, and even like looking at stuff like uh, you know some of the other sky ports. Um, I think there could be some stuff. I mean, I'm looking forward to experimenting a little bit, um, but I am to eggs. I'm probably going to take Barrack Zilfin because it means I don't have to paint frigates, and I haven't got time to paint more than. We'll definitely one. do some shows covering the covering your progress with the army and what you decide to do with it in the future though, won't we? Oh definitely. And I think one of the interesting things about eggs is that you can't stack buffs. So actually running like triple Aether chemist becomes a little bit counterintuitive. Yeah, it's muted, isn't it? And then but then you could go, well I have three good units and then I'll just buff them all once and then play a longer turn game. But then you think mm, well then if I you run Barak Zilfin is that Am I showing my hand too early? Do I have enough impact damage when I drop with only one buff on each unit to actually have a big enough impact on the drop to warrant taking Zilfin? Or do I need to play a longer game and stay further away from my opponent and use my long range to to soften them up first and then go in? But it's interesting. But anyway, I'm talking about... I'm going off on a tangent, but... For another day. Yeah, for another day. So heat free. Uh, that's it. We're gonna probably take a break there. We'll come back. And what we'll do is we'll talk about our hobby. I've already sort of been talking about mine a little bit, but we'll um, we'll go into what we've done and what we're doing, and we'll talk about how you're going to take your elf list 
yeah. and grow it for the next event, which I guess is eggs that you're going to try and take it to. Hopefully, fingers Hopefully. crossed. Yeah. yeah, you'll get it done. You did that in cool. a week. You've got three weeks. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll take a break. We'll be back in five, and then we'll talk about those t- topics. Facehammer is sponsored by Element Games. So for great customer service, all the latest Age of Sigmar releases at 20% off, and all your hobby needs, go to www.elementgames.co.uk. To support us directly, click through the banner on our website and let them know that you came from us. And we're back from the break. So uh, I guess I guess do you want to talk about your elf list first, or do you want to go in straight into hobbies? Or it's <clears throat> kind of linked, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. So I really liked my list. I took down a couple of notes um, when I was playing it, but it's a really Nerd. really short. <laughs> yeah, it's a really really short list. Um, what is the army missing? Range reliability. Um, then a note saying judicators? Question mark. Not battle line. Expensive, but I don't want to drop bodies. So I don't know whether I should do that. Um, and then as a minus of them, anything I can think to put in, I'd be replacing fast armoured units, and I mean dragon princes, with. So there's the range and reliability was a real issue, and I mean reliability of my battle line actually doing something or my troops actually doing something. Because um, the, the dragon princes did not dying, mostly, yeah. rather than... I mean, they, they killed some Thunder Tusks, but most things put into a Thunder Tusk that cost a decent amount of points with a buff on them could probably take them down fairly reliably over my turn and an opponent's turn. Um, the other thing, which I've already mentioned earlier, was the fact that Teclis' little legs wouldn't carry him far enough to buff the army. <laughs> uh, and this is... I mean, we've just spoken as well about lists kind of writing themselves, and this was really a choice that wrote itself. And unless you can hit me with some knowledge that I, I hadn't thought up, but I need something fast that deals, that is resilient enough that it can be up there with my birds, that can cast ideally three spells, but two spells would do. Um, and if you're in order, there's basically the option for that is Ilarial. I mean, you you got some properly left field options like Balthazar Gelt who's not got a bad armor save and can cast two spells but um, and obviously it's very cheap but essentially Alariel would replace the dragon, bit of a shame because the dragon I built in, it's got a lovely base and it looks cool but um, I'll get over it um, and the, there's a really good beetle instead so she does the same thing as the dragon and she does the same thing uh, in terms of damage um, she's got a better ranged attack with a longer range and she is a wizard that can cast three spells. And so she can stay up with the birds, buff them in the first turn, and then continue buffing them throughout the game without me having to run desperately towards um, towards them. And it's a nice model, and it'd be quite cool to play. So, I mean, is there? can you think of any other ways to solve that that kind of conundrum? Well, I think you've... Um... You've got two choices. What you're doing is you're combining multiple models into one thing, which seems like a good idea because you're saying well i want i can drop techless drop the dragon um and buy an ariel which is fine but then with the other list if you lose the dragon or you lose techless you've still got the other whereas it's one model so 
it's kind of that balance between how much eggs in one basket do you want to go. I'm not. I don't say she's that key to your army to actually be that big a deal, but it is a big deal. If she died, it'd be pretty horrendous. Um, but I, I definitely on board of it. I think it's a really good way to approach it because her damage output, I think, is better than Dragon anyway. The law master is war. Yeah, war. <laughs> and and I think it's it's different. You know, it's it's something cool to play with and see, and then. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm sure there'll be situations where you go. Oh, I wish I had Texas's spell, or I wish I had the dragon, for whatever reason. But Command ability or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but I think then as soon as you, the thing is, what you probably find is you go right. I've dropped the dragon. Suddenly, the dragon princes become less appealing. They do. So, what are you going to replace those with? So uh, the second thing, um, so I'm, I'm missing that kind of mobile resilient buff piece and it wasn't necessarily that i wanted to swap the dragon for something else it's that i wanted a wizard who could keep up with a fight and wasn't going to be a complete liability and alaria was the only option but if she was in the dragon had to drop out um so i've got got that um and then i wanted i wanted reliable range damage so i wanted things that ideally could reach further than 20 inches and that just hit more <laughs> like i take just hitting more never mind wounding more um so in order prosecutors uh, you've got yeah and they now they're quite same move they fly yeah, they do they're just as resilient they've got a shooting attack and they're probably better in combat yeah they are um so they were they were and also for 160 points of dragon princes you could get a unit of six because they're 80 points for three you could get a unit of six prosecutors which would be pretty badass um but yeah, I'm I, basically the list I'm writing. Um, I considered the prosecutors, and I'm still considering them. It's not decided fully yet. But to, so Alariel's in there for definite, unless I don't get her done, in which case she's not. Um, so she's in there, and it feels like a bit of a waste um, to not use. She's got an ability which isn't a command ability, so she doesn't have to be your general. Um, but heals all Sylvaneth units within a ridiculous, ridiculous range. Um, and I, I've been after reliable range damage and also more resilient troops. And I could have two units of three Colonel Hunters. I could have one unit of three Colonel Hunters and five Judicators, which if I go on to do Stormcast in the future, is, is like I'll probably end up using Judicators. Um, so the list has kind of become exactly the same core, nearly. Um, I could use Dark Health Spearmen instead of High Health Spearmen. Um, they get rerolls in combat rather than shooting, and actually, my spearman ended up getting into combat far more than I would like. Um, same unit two glade guard, three Kurnoth hunters, five judicators. So they've taken the place of the dragon princes. Um, I've added in one wizard, which is kind of a left field choice, a battle mage from the empire. So I've got like seven armies within one faction going on um and the idea with that is he's flexible so he can debuff my opponents i can pick uh, a spell where i get to heal wounds so i could have alarial um healing her wounds then i could heal wounds on a frostheart phoenix or something really hard which would make them super cool or i could just pick fireball if i wanted another rain spell or um or something like that and it's an excuse to paint up a nice model the lawmaster because he's fun and he buffs um he busts Alariel up, 
and the two birds. So it's I could have straight up just taken exactly the same list, pulled out Teclis and um, and the dragon and dropped in Alariel and it would have ended up being 2,000 points instead of 1980. But I fiddled other things around as well um, because the dragon princes feel less... They feel like they make less sense without reroll to hits on them. Um, yeah, and I think it's nice to do different units because um, have you thought about if they're if you're using dragon princes that you're not going to take dragon princes? You thought about running Illyrian Reavers as core? Are they battle line? They're not. No, they're not. Are they? They're a battle line in a swift talk agent, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, otherwise, yeah. I would, like I would be there and all I would over have, that. Yeah, I'd be all over that, and I'd have my glade guard together in a twenty. And I'd just be the happiest chappy ever. Yeah. Or they'd be they'd be being used as high elf archers, which is cheaper by mm. quite a lot. Um, but yeah, I've got a few options. Um, I would I really do like the idea of trying out prosecutors, and they you're right, they are complete. They're almost a one for one fit for as far as wounds, armor save, and damage go. But they get a shooting attack uh, for the dragon princes. So I'm still fiddling, but I think it's going to be a unit of Kernoth hunters or two units of Kernoth hunters. Um, adjudicators and then all but the same army but I swapped Teclas and the dragon for a massive beetle yeah I think I think if you're taking Olario then, then the Kern of Hunters make perfect sense but um, I'm not sure about the adjudicators I think you'll you'll find that they're okay but you know because they're the same points uh, 20 yeah 20, 20 less, less the same yeah. so they're equivalent i mean for me personally like because i like combat i i I just for me i would have the judicators would just be prosecutors and then the colonel hunters would be fine but i don't know maybe you don't need it maybe it'd be fine but i think it's going to be it's going to vary your list quite a bit um it's going to be quite interesting to see how it plays but there you go but you're yeah. doing some mad hobby, aren't you? So you're trying to get this I ready. <laughs> I am. So um, I have, uh, like you, been influenced by our Hospice Bracket. We, we quite like David Soper, by the way, if you didn't get that from that episode. He's a nice man. I'm yeah, and if you it. haven't listened to that episode, please do, because it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's as awesome as, as we so. are modest. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I, I found it really inspirational. Um, it definitely got my hobby mojo back, so... Uh, I don't know, just, it was really good for me. Yeah, absolutely. So I've, part of the reason for choosing Judicators is they're covered in armour, and they're covered in silver armour, and they're covered in non-metallic metal silver armour, and they're covered in stippling now, which I'm trying to do at a decent speed, at a high level, on models that are entirely covered in metal. So I I didn't want to wait long enough after the Sopra class that, my brain forgot everything that I'd been taught. And these were a really good way to make sure that I put down the information you'd given me as paint on a model soon. And, um, yeah, I don't like, I could paint my silver nath like they were non-metallic metal, but, but I'd have to be really, really good. <laughs> yeah. Metal trees. That'd be quite interesting, actually. Yeah. Their arm would look badass. That's for another day, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you're you're trying out stippling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, shall I cover how I'm going about mine first, and then you can cover your sprockets? You might, you might as well, and I'll talk about my sprocket sprockets. 
Cool. So what I have done is like I've taken a technique which is don't get me wrong, it's not a slow technique, but doing any type of suggestion of metallics without using metallic paints is kind of by definition not fast because you are you have to put the shine where it looks shiny rather than allowing like just putting down a flat coat and the light reflecting off the right bit um you're making it hard for yourself just by choosing not to do it in that way and you've got to do if not more colors you've got to do more stages to kind of get that effect so what i'm trying to do is as i'm always trying to do with my painting because i'm obsessive is to strike the the perfect line that i can between time spent and results achieved edging towards the the higher end of of painting and, and the results that can be achieved across the entire army so i started my stippling with the airbrush by putting in a really bad dilution and pressure which sounds really counterintuitive so i've purposely used my airbrush badly um so the paint doesn't come out as smooth and don't get me wrong you don't want great big globules coming out but um you just want it to not be completely uniform and a, a beautiful smooth gradient you're almost airbrushing texture on aren't you yeah, yeah, way. almost. And, and if you did a really careful dry brush, I think they probably would be more more textured bunny ears um, than you'd been used to with this type of thing. So um, going from... I'm using Scale 75 paints because um, they are more helpful in the later stages because they're less opaque. So when I make mistakes, they're less obvious. Um, and they're nice to work with and they're, they're kind of forgiving once you got used to them. So I'm starting off with the same army painter uniform gray base coat that i've used on all of my other elves um but then i'm working up uh through i think they're they're the same ones that we've all been using um in bits and bobs i've got graphite and then i'm adding their flat white to it and i'm putting down pre-shades through the airbrush but i'm not putting them just towards the top of the model i'm putting them where i think it would reflect then i'm going in with a wash uh through the airbrush again um to kind of accentuate where things are darker and then i'm getting out the brush and i am stippling but i'm not i'm not doing it uh like pointillism like just using the point of the brush to draw the stipples which is how david did it and taught us to do it i'm i'm dabbing a bit with the brush until the end gets splayed and looks like a really badly treated brush this is probably awful for your brushes um and then i am i am traditional stippling so dotting but i'm dotting with a brush that is splayed and is it's got lots of points to it, and I'm doing that with a very heavily thinned paint, so it's not, it's not, I'm making mistakes a lot, so I want to make sure they're not permanent, and I'm also trying to give like a gentle suggestion of tone, so um, having the paint be thinned down is helpful for that, and I'm picking the areas where I've highlighted with the airbrush, and I'm not highlighting them, I'm choosing the same colour to start with, and I'm then stippling around their edges to make it look like that entire that entire blob is all stippled when actually it's not. Stippling around the edges of the same colour, then I am adding white and highlighting it with that. Um, and then I'm edge highlighting over that. And it's it's been really, really, really difficult, but rewarding. And I think it's working. And I'm de- I definitely feel like I'm learning as well because it's just, I've never tried anything like this before. Um, and they're very good models to do it on because they got all types of shapes at all types of angles and it's all metal um so yeah that's that's what i've been doing i'll take um i've taken some pictures so i'll pop up some we can have some we'll pop them in the show notes for this um but yeah that's that's what i've been doing so yeah sounds uh sounds like you're 
pushing yourself a little bit, which is always good. But you're taking something that you've you've seen as a technique for a single figure, and you're adapting it to an army standard, um, even in a quite a slightly crazy high level army army uh, um, army standard. But it's still yeah. it's still kind of um, uh, kind of diluting the technique to suit what the task you're trying to do. Um, I think any any speed painting, as long as you're trying to achieve. Like you can do a speed paint on one model that takes forty hours. It's just it should have taken sixty, yeah, or whatever. You're achieving so just, the effect in a more efficient way. Yeah, so I'm aiming for three hours ahead on these models or less. And I think so far I've done two and a half of the models, and I'm uh, it's in two and a half of them are finished. But then the other the the remaining bits have got like more than half the stages done. Um, at, just about 10 hours so i might make it we'll see yeah that's interesting i, I mean i i think this comes from your commission painting background doesn't it where you're uh you're you're quite good <laughs> at, at at timing yourself and being like how long did that take and i want to multiply that out and i've got a goal of how long i want to spend on a model whereas i just kind of paint and then i go oh, i get it done no problem then i go oh my god i'm never gonna finish <laughs> um which is, I think uh, I've scarred myself too badly. That yeah. that's the perfect. Oh my god, that's exactly what I would say about yeah. when I've started things at too high a level. So um, yeah, if if I set myself a time where I think like, okay, Stormcaster and Elite Army, that I could feasibly have a an army with forty models in it. If they took me three hours each and I've already got some of them done, that would be okay. Then I know that even if I don't have the best time painting the models, I've still not set myself a task of having a difficult job to do that i'm not enjoying as much as i could that takes me longer than it should because that's always the icing on the cake for me that's what makes hobby feel like a chore or a job yeah yeah definitely and you've done a farseer as well well a farseer a mage yeah i have actually and i've uh, popped up a blog post about him so i picked i had a brilliant hobby wobble after the first hobby wobble of taking the high elves with a dragon in and left work on the Monday after um, the heat with a just a, a massive selection like Alarials, dark elves, um, a random necromancer. Yeah, <laughs> a, necromancer, a mist weaver. Yep, some tree uh, revs. Yeah, everything. Yeah, um, everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the farseer. What I've done is I've taken a. It looks like a Glay Guard head, but it's an Eternal Guard head, pulling a particularly angry facial expression. Just a straight up head swap. Had to scrape away some of some of the the bits of the model and of the head to make sure they go together in a way that doesn't look bobbleheady and janky. And then I've used the amazing, like still amazing. It's been amazing for about a decade now. Empire Baffle Wizard set to. I've got uh, there's a, a hand outstretched holding a book in that. Attached it onto an Eternal Guard Vambrace. Pinned that to one arm. And then I've just got a, an empty uh, kind of like open um, hand as if it's doing something magic-y as the other hand that's come from the Eternal God set as well on his other arm. And I chopped off, he's got a square back, I think it's meant to have something techy in it. I tried putting ribbons on um, to make it look like the click was being pulled, but it didn't work. So I clipped it off and then I've done some all right kind of passable sculpting um, of just a, a plane back on that to make it look like there wasn't anything weird and angular under his robes that sounds dodgy are you um are you are you doing the whole spirit host stuff coming off the base thing are you gonna do that yeah i am uh, like i i've got to work out how to do it because they're actually really unhelpful shapes um yeah, actually a little bit yeah 
and, and you, you have all these ideas and you think, oh, I'll have this, and it'll be swooping around, and then you realise that your guy's got a hand and a robe and the spirit hosts would have to come out at this angle from this place. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how the farseer is kind of helpfully, he's raised up on some rocks. So um, I think what I'm going to do is I will kind of... Make it's it on a display tw- base that he sits in? Well, I could do, yeah. Also, the model's on a 25mm base, and I was thinking I could play him on a 32 but that 32 i could have the spirits coming out of maybe and that might make the modeling easier and the painting way easier i think i think characters look better on slightly bigger um bases like that you know i think yeah absolutely i put all my elf characters on 32s because i just i like them looking a little bit more i'm gonna use the word epic because i've been um i've been listening to the uh reckon season (laughs) (laughs) um I was think it's quite funny as well is that it's a bit of a subtle tangent, but your guy's expression like just reminds me of a high epic giving in to his powers. And I'll leave it at that. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, go listen to the Reckoner series by Brandon Sanderson uh, on audiobook because they're awesome. Yeah, they are really good. Um, so yeah, that's that's the sum total of my hobby. So I've got some really hard, angular, um, metallic models, and then I've got someone who's just like, three quarters four fifths cloak um so i've got turquoise and steel so i'm i'm strongly in my comfort zone with colors but i'm trying to do uncomfortable things with my techniques are you on on your fast fast here i'm not quite a fast here but your mage mm-hmm. are you gonna do is like the chest kind of detailing like are you gonna do that in gold or are you gonna do it in bone or are you what was your probably gonna do it in steel to stick with the arm to say in the theme yeah but i'll do the he's got a lot of like opal uh, well they're where they are gems um but i'm thinking of doing them in like a like like properly like opals like white made with just a hint of blue in to do something to stand out from the because the turquoise robes are really they're very saturated but they're also quite dark so um i think having some spots of white throughout the model might make yeah, might just do a good job of pulling it together. I've got no idea what's still in the book, by the way. If anyone has good ideas for freehand on that, that is achievable, that isn't like copy out the first page of the Bible or anything, yeah. then uh, <laughs> do let me know because I'm trying to make my mind up. Yeah, it's always difficult when you've got something like that, haven't you? Because it's, it's like a blank canvas. With model kind of helps you because it's got shapes and you just paint in the shapes. But yeah. when you've got like a freehand blank canvas, it's like, oh, what do I do? It's far um, too small to do a wolf on as well, so... Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know about that. Like you could probably. I mean, you've seen some of the stuff that they do on on the models that you. I think is it the um, the white dwarf model where he's got all the magazines for his foot, and you could yeah. actually painted a white dwarf how to paint Mike McVeigh article. So they can do that. You can paint a wolf on the book. That's not. All right. If those professional heavy metal <laughs> gods can do that. All right. Let's. Uh... That, that seems yourself, to be completely logical. <laughs> right, I'll push myself Cover some it in microbeads. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, this model has actually been used by Mr. Soap before something, hasn't it? Mm. He's painted one of these. All right, so that's that's my painting. Um, taking techniques and bastardizing them um, on kind of my comfort zone basing. You've been doing neither comfort zone basing nor comfort zone painting. Tell us about what you've been doing. Okay, so I've been doing my Cahadron Overlords which I've procrastinated on and, and not done a lot on. And typical me, like, limp along, get a 
stupid deadline and then go, oh, I'm going to get it done. And that's all my life now until eggs. Um, and I've had to book time off work because otherwise I won't finish it. Um, <laughs> but I just can do stuff like this uh, where I've given up an evening of hobby to uh, to record, which is uh, one of those things. But <laughs> so what have I done? So I've built the Corrigan Army. Um, I've I've basically, when I bought my army, I bought pretty much everything I'd want. Um, so I bought, I've got a navigator, I've got a uh, admiral, an Endrin master, three Aether chemists, 40 Arconauts, uh, 20 um, Gunstruck Thunders. Uh, I, I've now got 18 of the, what I call the Bobble Dwarfs. I've got a gun hauler. I've got an ironclad, and I've got two frigates. So I've basically got everything I would ever need to do an army. Um, so I haven't written a list list, but I, I've kind of... I did a blog post on Barrack Zilfin, and I put a list in there, and I thought, oh, that would be quite cool to take that to eggs because I've done an article on it. So I could take that list, and then I could do like a, a tournament report on it. Unfortunately, it's not going to quite work because buffs don't stack, so I haven't settled that list um but i'm just hobbying anyway and i haven't actually sat down and worked out my army list which is a bit weird because i haven't i don't know where to put my energy but i know for sure i'm going to need 30 arconauts which is what i've started painting but if i rewind so basing wise i wanted my guys to look like they're at a skyport so I think I might have spoke about this. I have taken some pictures. I'll probably do a blog post, but I did the typical thing of took pictures really good early on and then didn't do the last stages. Now, what I've what I've done is I've I wanted factory floor base and I wanted to just look metallic because they don't have like wood. They they're in the sky. They're on like big metallic ships, you know, or skyports. I wanted it to look fairly futuristic, and um, I looked around at like I looked at the forty k bases, but they didn't do them in twenty five. So I looked at other bases. I think I mentioned it on another show. But what I ended up doing was um, I thought I'd try and do something a little bit um, kind of crazy and make my own. And there's a company called Green Stuff World that do um, textured rolling pins, uh, and they have one called Factory Floor. So I thought, well, it's called Factory Floor. Let's do it. So um, I, it's quite a steep learning curve because actually uh, Green Stuff and Milliput. I've never used Milliput before. Uh, I've done very limited stuff with Green Stuff. Um, I've certainly never done Green Stuff bases before. Um, I looked at some of the videos and they looked a little bit doughy, if that's a way, because the way that they were made where he rolled the base with the green stuff on it and it looked a little bit like because it kind of like doze over the side of the base and the bases are quite small it looks it's not very even so I decided I wanted my bases to look like resin bases I wanted them to look flush so what I did is I um I I basically rolled out a big sheet so I very quickly realized I hadn't bought a normal rolling pin fortunately I had one for cooking, not for models. Um, and what I did is I, you have to roll a mixed mini putt and green stuff 50-50. I experimented with white stuff. I experimented with just green stuff. I experimented with um, black stuff. I think it's like a mini putt, another type of mini putt. Um, and uh, mixed with green and different mixes. But basically what I found was 50-50, the cheap, nasty mini putt and green stuff together 
mix it into a big ball and this is really messy um and the top tip that i didn't know was talcum powder in water takes the stickiness out of the green stuff mix now you don't want it too sticky because obviously you want to roller it you don't want it the green stuff sticking to the rolling pin so what what i end up doing was you um you put down like a sheet of something non-stick greaseproof paper would have been perfect if I was actually sensible. But as I just use like old bits of um, old plastic bags or um, old dinner mats that had a, a plastic coating on them because I wasn't really that intelligent about it. Um, rolled out the green stuff into a bit of a sheet, wait for it to dry for about 45 minutes to an hour. Then very, very carefully roll the texture over the top, wait for it to dry 24 hours super glue all the bases to the back of it then score it snap it and actually i ended up losing some bases because where i snapped it it took the it snapped across the base um then take clippers trim it all the way around take a knife around the edge so it's flush with the edge of the rim of the base that's your floor now seems a bit excessive but it didn't take that long really but I, oh, I did it anyway. It's got, about batch it. production, isn't it? As well, yeah, so. I mean, it's not really that many bases, like in a Cradron army, like fifty. It's not really that bad. I mean, I wouldn't recommend doing it if you're doing like some sort of crazy horde army. Um, but I, I just really wanted a cert- I had a very distinct idea in my head of what I wanted the bases to look like, and I couldn't find a pre-made base. So it's much like most things in hobby. I'm not going to convert something unless I really want. I really can't find it. If I can use a standard model or a standard thing, I will. Um, and then I thought, okay, so I've got these bases and they're flat factory floor. It's okay, but I need to add something. Um, so they also sell like some steampunk like cogs and watch parts. So basically, I bought bags of this stuff and I just super glued them down and then I put the models on it and I was like great so I'm really happy with how that's turned out um then I um I wanted to have some detail for the bases for my ships so I bought some warehouse resin scenery it's like it's like called ware piles it's like crates and barrels and bags of grain or whatever it is so i'm used those on the on the ship bases now i then also decided that i didn't want to use flying stands so i drilled all my um bobble dwarfs and i used brass rod i used the privacy press pinning kit um of the there's two different there's three sizes there's a very small one I think there might be even before the two biggest ones, basically the very biggest one for the ironclad and the ships, and the one down from that from all the infantry. That comes with a drill bit which fits the rod. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to buy brass rod and then buy a drill bit that fits. I just go right. That's what I'm doing. Um, I did buy some rotation magnets used for X-wing because I thought I might better magnetize the ships and rotate them. They're just too heavy. They're just too heavy for that. So I tried it, didn't work. So I just all right, just bin that off. Big difference um, between a ship that big and an X-wing, isn't there? It's probably yeah, like, there is a bit. Yeah. <laughs> like several hundred grams worth of difference. Yeah, but some of the big ships in X-wing, you know, like the, you're right, actually. Yeah, they are pretty hefty. So I, I was, I was a bit like, maybe, maybe. I think for me, it's more about the the pivot point rather than the actual weight. But anyway, um, so okay, so I did that, and I, I've, I've 
pinned my stuff and I've built it all. Um, we're probably going to do a blog post about how to clean up models after somebody, we asked people on Twitter what they wanted to hear and someone said, and actually, I know we joked to Tom about him using clippers to scrape mold lines, but, you know, it, it's actually quite funny, but it's also, um, it's probably worth talking about what products we use and how we clean up. So we're going to do another show on that. Yeah, definitely. We've all got, um, we've all got our, like our go-to must-haves in the process, I think. So it definitely makes sense. Yep, exactly. So anyway, that's the the basin bit, and I wanted to do the David Soper weekend to then really hone down how I was going to paint my army. So at the weekend, I mean, obviously, Crudgeons are mostly metallics. They're all metallics. Now, when we were at that weekend, we obviously learned some very, very good recipes for non-metallic metal now i'm not quite crazy enough to do the whole army in nmm um but idiot to do that uh, yeah um i immediately thought to myself i've got a bit of an issue here because i've got a base that's all metallic it's metallic cogs on metallic floor the models are metallic there's very little cloth, there's no skin, and I'm thinking, hmm, they're going to look like big shiny balls if I just paint them in metallic paints. I don't really like that look, if I'm honest. Um, and I decided, and I haven't taken this scheme any further, but on the weekend we were painting the Abyssal Night and we were doing Blue Steel, and I don't mean you know, like pouting each other. I mean, actually, yeah. I mean, actually like the blue steel technique. And uh, we painted the model in dried bark and then we used anthracite grey, which is like a scale 75 blue, really nice, like slightly bluish grey. Um, it's not quite, it's not Space Wolves grey, but it's it's close to Codex, but with a touch of blue. Yeah, definitely. And then we mixed stuff like uh, bearing blue into it and then we mixed a... The um, a GW paint, which I think Celestia Grey, um, yeah, Celestia Grey, and then uh, white, and to go up, that's like a blue steel. So I thought, well, actually, perfect for the bases. I'm all over that, and what I can do then is use watered down dried bark and um, an orange paint for which I think it's Jacaro Orange from Scale to do rust effect on the base, so it's going to look weathered. Now, reading the Cradron fluff, the Barrack Mornar is a, a skyport. I really like the concept. I really like the idea of them. Um, I decided I don't care about the paint your army in the colours for the rules because I've seen plenty of games on the stream and things where people are just not even doing that. So I was like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to worry about that. But what I liked about Barrack Mornar is that they kind of said that it, they look battered they're like they're not, they're not as well maintained as other Cradron skyports and they're they're a bit more kind of practical and piratical and I quite like that I like that that idea that they're a bit nasty so I thought well actually I could do I've never done like a 40k army really with tanks and stuff so I, I haven't done like battle damage weathering um all this sort of stuff and I thought well I can do all of this in an Age of Sigma army so um I've I've got the idea to take some of um, the recipes that we've been shown. We've been shown like a bronze, a brass, copper, 
Um, we obviously did like steel, we did a dirty gold, um, and apply them to my models. Now, I'm in two minds at the moment. So the bases are going to have like brass and copper cogs with uh, verdigris, with blue steel flooring with rust, and then black rims, obviously, because that's what I do. Uh, and the model's been base coated in dried bark using the Citadel air paint. Now, I've got to decide, am I going to use metallic paints or am I going to use um, a non-metallic recipe? I'm tempted to do a halfway house, and that's mixing, um, bra- like for example, for the brass, starting off with stuff like uh, Mournfang Brown mixed with Rhinox Hide, going into a metallic paint, maybe like Viking Gold or um, Retributor Armor mixed with Mournfang into retributor then maybe into silver and actually go from non-metallic to metallic highlights but what i might do is take ivory into the highlights so it it dulls the edge of the metal so it almost um you lose the very kind of very very bright shiny metallics but you still get a bit of the metallic feeling um i did that on my warriors and i thought it came out quite well but um I'm not sure. I I don't know. I need to do a test model, basically. I haven't done that yet. Um, I would be a bit loath to paint the whole model in non-metallics because I think I'm not going to put the effort in to put the highlights in the right place. And although I could get away with it on the infantry, when it comes to the ships, you know, and I'm looking at this golf ball-sized brass ball, I'm not going to pull that off. So what I'm tempted to do for eggs is to um, get the bases finished, um, have all the models kind of base coated and washed. Although the, they won't be finished, the the bases will make the army look a lot more cohesive and a lot more finished. Absolutely. Um, but the colour scheme I'm going to go for is a dark blue um, armour with um, khaki um, overalls. Um, black leather um and a off a very sort of um probably dryad bark based leather so it's like a cracked dry leather for straps pouches and things like that um a bronze with uh verdigris and um a silver dome silver with um maybe either like oil stains if it's a gun or if it's like um armor maybe a little bit of rust yeah you've got the flexibility with silver haven't you um if you think you've got too many colors going on you can just make it darker with oil or black washes and then if you think you can introduce an orange with the rust then you can yeah and i think the orange might come into the blue armor so the art the armor will almost look like um painted or, or like lacquered metal with chips in it and and bit of bit of rust and kind of dirt almost like just you know like when it's just got in the recesses and it's just yeah. kind of it's just kind of dulled through the recesses but the outside is shiny um, the ring's fun. that'd be really good and um then i need a color that's gonna i need a bit of brightness to the army so i'm not a color that really really goes it's still in the in a kind of cold palette um and and it's going to be a green 
and I'm going to use um, all like the portholes and and like gas and everything. Everything that could have a glow will have this almost like almost like a necron glow, like the necron green, that really vibrant, almost warpstone, but not warpstone. That kind yeah. of that color, um, because I obviously green I, I think would look really nice next to the blue. Um, we'll see I mean I'm probably better off doing certain like orange would be a bit too obvious so I didn't want to go down that route but um, and with the ships as well I'm going to do like a, a, a bone off white um, so mostly blue hole but with like a black and a bone stripe a bit like the ironclad for the um, the the skyport they've done in the cream and I can't remember the name of it it's doing my head in um, but yeah so that's uh that that would be really really cool, but um, it's early days yet. I might change my mind. Who knows? I haven't quite got there yet, but um, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a task to get it all ready for eggs. So we'll see. We get to, your, get to see some progress on the blog, whether you get close and fail, abandon it halfway through, or squeeze it through just at like at the final final stages. N- knowing me, I'll try and squeeze it through, but kill myself doing it, and then lose all my hobby enthusiasm. Great. And All right. Descend into <laughs> computer games for three months, but uh, <laughs> hopefully not. Um, yeah, but that's basically what I'm doing, and and like I I'm kind of in a bit of a bit of a weird state with it because I want to do it and I want to do it well, but I also just want it done. Excited um, to play the army, aren't you? Which is kind of the counterpoint to everything. That's the thing. I really want to play with it because I'm a bit bored of um, like the armies I have available. And I haven't wanted to paint anything else really, um, and because they're so different, I just really want to game with them. Um, I think doing the basing, and then you can take everything to a, a decent stage, and then you can either go across the entire army and do like next stage, next stage, next stage, or you can finish this unit, then that unit, then I that imagine unit, I'll that do unit. it unit by unit. Yeah. So um, depends what events you want to take it to and what your schedule is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I think the first thing I'll probably finish would be the Ironclad, I imagine. Um, just because it's such a big centrepiece, you know, it's it's like ob- obvious, isn't it, to paint the big centrepiece really nicely and then have the other stuff kind of good but not quite yeah. there, but people won't really focus on that too much. Absolutely. you got some characters to play with as well. So Yeah, and the ultimate goal really is to have the army ready for um, the final um, to... They are gonna. Is that your? Is that is that almost a definite? They're the army you want to be playing in the final. Um, yeah, not not for competitiveness. Just I don't. I'm not going to the final to. I just want to enjoy it. I want to play an army that I'm going to enjoy. I want to take an army that's going to compete for painting. Um, and you bothered yeah. about the speed of your games or anything? So I presume they're going to be a even. Like, win or loss, I think they're probably going to be an army that is fairly good at finishing their games fast, aren't they? I think it depends on the list, if I'm honest with you. If you do Barak Zilfin drop army, you'll have games which you'll smash people really quickly. You'll have games where it will peter out and it will take a bit longer and you probably lose. Um, I'm probably going to try and play Barak Mornar in a Barak Mornar colour scheme and see what I can do because I mean I don't know 
uh, it might be I might be foolish, but if I haven't played it, I'm not going to dismiss and go. This is the list, and just play one list. Um, I imagine like I'll play Zilfin at um, Eggs, and it will be very good, and I'll do all right with it, and I'll learn quite a lot, and that should give me enough idea of how to take the army forward. Um, because the problem I have with um, with with I haven't played any games at all, and I'm like, well, I could try and come up with something quirky, but I just don't really understand. Until I get it on the table, I can't understand like how survivable is an ironclad. How good is the shooting? What can I expect to do in one turn with this unit? When I've got a bit of a bet, I know I can math it, but it's not quite the same. And I think if I can um, learn that, then that will help me make a list which is more balanced and less gimmicky, um, which is definitely where I want to go with the army. I don't really want to be playing like gimmicky, Zilfin, clown car armies, but you know, and there's plenty of people playing it. And I think as well, like it's maybe not particularly very fun for your opponent. Um, but you know, yeah, I think it leads to it leads to some games which are you can't even tell your opponent what they could have done differently, which is that's a hard situation to. Well, it like uh, each their own, but that's a difficult situation to present to your opponent. Like, oh, it's all right, you could have done it like this, but there may be some some matchups where it's like, yeah, that happens. Would you like a beer? Yeah, exactly. And I think for me, like, I'd quite like to take one of everything. So when I go to the final, I'd like to have a gun hauler, a frigate, a ironclad, an admiral, a navigator, an engine master, an A for chemist, one unit of engine riggers, one unit of sky wardens, the Arcanaut company, and the and the thunderers, and have a mix of everything. That'd be awesome. And it will look cool, and it will be themed, and it's not going to be particularly competitive, but I would like to make it so I could compete. It'll have options as well. Yeah, kind of by definition, just by being so varied. Yeah, and I think I'd quite like to see like how the gun hauler works with the ironclad, both the passing the wounds and when you're healing extra wounds because you've got an engine master, and then you've got multiple units of engine riggers and things like that. So, I, I think playing there's actually like um, there's a formation where you have like frigates and archonauts and. Um, like the ships get to fire twice in the first battle round, and that'd be cool. maybe I'd run that double frigate. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't just haven't decided yet. Um, maybe don't even take an ironclad. Who knows? It'd be quite interesting to take more men, but um, I'd be interesting to see um, how it plays out. But I'm try. I'm planning to have enough painted that I can just take different armies and and do what I want. So I haven't quite decided on the loadout of my funders. So I, at the moment, I've just built ten with rifles because I think the rifles are just all round consistent. Um, I know a lot of people are running things like mortars and things like that, but I, I don't know. I think the rifles are are probably a little bit undersung as as decent. They just seem to have the, they've got a good mix of hitting and wounding and rend and number of shots. Whereas like a lot of the other weapons have, oh, that's got really good rend. But actually, it doesn't hit very reliable, or it's got, and it's only got one shot, but it does multiple damage. So I think the rifles are pretty good. But anyway, I haven't played any games yet, so <laughs> it's all <Absolutely>. theory. 
<coughs> I'll be I'll be doing a Terry in six months to go. Oh, rifles are rubbish. Why? <laughs> and you know, after saying they were good, but um, no, I'm excited and and like it's just nice to be doing hobby again, really. But it was definitely inspirational going to the David Soper weekend and feeling like I wanted to do a project. I wanted to take some of the things I'd learned, apply it to that project. Um, I'm sure there's loads more stuff that I'll, I could do to the army, but I'm not going to um, obsess about it too much, which I think I've been guilty of in the past. Where you're almost like, well, I've got to paint this army, I've got to paint to the best I ever can and use all the stuff and be really on point with it. I don't know, do you ever do that, Byron? Yeah, definitely. And, Absolutely. It's so it's an easy trap to fall into, and you can be like, actually, like. Was it say done is better than what was this uh, saying? Done, but done beats perfect because yeah, perfect doesn't get finished. Yeah, exactly. And I think I'm guilty of almost overthinking a project, and you just don't actually do anything because you just haven't. You've been thinking about it and planning it and talking about it, but you haven't actually done it. And then by the time you get around to doing it, you're almost ex- all the enjoyment of of the journey has kind of been worn out in the planning phase. Then it just feels like a grind, and you don't want to do it. Yeah, you got to keep your hobby fun. That's what it's meant for. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> just got to kill yourself. And, and put like unrealistic deadlines on yourself. We know how to do that. I'm doing it wrong, right? If... <laughs> it's a mix, isn't it? Yeah. Balance. Balance. Hobby life balance. <laughs> um, anyway, I think that's basically what I'm doing hobby wise. Do you want to talk about anything else before we sign off? I think I've done it. Like, I've done the list that I'm intending on taking that may well change and we'll pop up some pictures of our, the things that we've both spoken about and that we're working on. Uh, I'll probably pop up a copy of my, my intended list at this point um, in the show notes that should cover it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how much blogging I'll do cause I've literally got to paint and that that's my, that I just got to get on with it. You can just do like updates one, two, three, four, five, six, however many, and do yeah. four pictures with a caption under each. Yeah, I think I think it's probably just quick and dirty posting would be the uh, the way forward. Um, I, I will. We will do a. Um, we had a lot of people asking about the change host. Um, we'll probably do a mini sode, well, blog sode on that um, to cover that list and how it works. Yeah, it's um, definitely save a month, isn't it? Because it's a interesting. Um, I go for tricks. Yeah, and I have to be honest. I don't know much about it because I haven't researched I? it. Um, so I might, I might ask uh, Brian to give me his list and give you a bit of a filth one hundred and one, and uh, we'll talk about it. And we'll also talk about how to beat it. Um, I'll also probably do a show on Barrack Mornar once I've really honed like what I'm going to do with the list to give some options. Uh, and I might do a series of different Skyport shows, um, talking about the different Skyports and how to make them, uh, how to make lists or what the strengths are. I don't know. Depends how I, how far down the Skyport hole I, uh, I fall. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I'm sure that there'll be, well, there's someone asking about Les and doing a uh, Sylvan F, how to beat xyz so that might be a little show we'll do as well but um 
yeah, at some point. But um, yeah, just keep an eye on the blog. Um, if you've got any more ideas, email us, Pop tweet thing. us, put them on the blog. Feel free to comment on the blog posts. It's, it, you know, it's cool. Just get traffic, tell your friends about it, um, and hopefully you guys enjoy like the sort of quick content we can deliver to you. Uh, because it can be quite hard to get us all together to do like a three-hour record marathon. Because you know we're all we're all busy in in bunny ears um, and have other things going on. So uh, it's not always easy to get all four of us together to do a big show. So uh, yeah, it allows us to dip in and out. Also requires less uh, of editing on Russ's behalf as well, which is uh, something that's only going to be a plus. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't take up a whole evening, so I can do it for an hour and then. I've got the rest of the evening to do hobby awards or whatever, so uh, it's uh, sort of preferable to me as well. But yeah, hopefully that that's it for this show. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it, and uh, we'll be back soon. To make sure you don't miss out on any more hammer to your face, subscribe to us on iTunes, add our RSS feed to your reader, and follow us on Twitter at facehammer underscore. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to give us some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.